Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 14th installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now, in last week's episode, we talked all about the Chicago Cubs and their incredible 108-year drought leading up to their most recent World Series win on November 2nd, 2016. And today, we're not going to stray too far away from this quote-unquote older baseball history. No, today we'll be talking about a very special player that caused ample amounts of victories, curses, and the sparking of a true love of baseball for fans all around the United States. When you go around and ask people who they think the best player of all time is, all of them have a pretty similar answer. Now, this man has seemingly hundreds of nicknames, all celebrating his achievements on the baseball field, from the Babe, the Sultan of Swat, the Caliph or Colossus of Clout, the behemoth of bust, and, of course, the great Bambino. That would be none other than the great Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was born in Baltimore, Maryland, under the name George Herman Ruth Jr. Growing up, Babe Ruth became a bit of a delinquent and was sent to the reformatory school and orphanage known as St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys. Now, if you didn't know, this delinquent nature would stay with Ruth for the rest of his life. At St. Mary's, Ruth was mentored by brother Matthias Boatlier, who was a rather accomplished baseball player himself, although not professionally. Now, no one is really sure how or when Babe Ruth became so enamored with baseball. Many believe that he played games of stickball in his youth and would hit the ball so far that it would shatter windows all over town. Others believe that Bootlier encouraged Ruth to join the St. Mary's baseball team as a catcher or an infielder. Although Ruth was a lefty, he was forced to use a righty glove to try and get him to be more right-hand dominant. Babe Ruth modeled his hitting and running motions off of Bootlier's motions and would play around 200 games every year, slowly becoming better and better, as you can imagine. Ruth was getting so good, in fact, that the brothers who owned St. Mary's invited the Orioles' owner and manager at that time, Jack Dunn, to watch Babe Ruth play, and, well, he was absolutely amazed. Now, at the time, the Orioles were just a minor league team with no connection to the present-day Baltimore Orioles. But, with the help of Babe Ruth and a few other players, the minor league team would become an absolute powerhouse. At the age of 19, Babe Ruth made his minor league debut as a pitcher. Now, since Ruth was only 19 at the time, Jack Dunn had to become his legal guardian in order to complete his contract. Other minor leaguers on the Orioles referred to him as Jack's newest babe or Jack Dunn's baby, a nickname that would stick with him for the rest of his career. And Babe would go on to have an incredible season. He would go 22-9, and pitching in 35 games and over 244 innings, recording 139 strikeouts as a 19-year-old, playing against a bunch of adults. <laughs> he would play shortstop in 11 more games, getting 28 hits, 10 triples, and one home run in his second at-bat that was supposedly hit further than anyone had ever hit a baseball before. Towards the end of the season, the Baltimore Terrapins, a major league team, would come and sweep all of the fans and interest from Jack Dunn's Orioles. 
he had no choice but to sell his best players in hopes to raise any money for the team and himself. So, Babe Ruth, as well as Ernie Shore and Ben Egan, would be shipped to the Boston Red Sox. Here, Ruth would only start in two exhibition games, and although he ended up winning both, that was all he was able to play. You see, the problem was, Babe Ruth would do some things that would make him easier to hit. Like, sticking out his tongue ever so slightly every time that he would throw a curveball, and really not doing a great job of hiding his pitches at all. But above all, Red Sox manager Bill Kerrigan didn't like using Babe because of his behavior both on and off of the field. The Red Sox would then send Ruth down to the Providence Grays in order to help him develop as a player. Now, there was a lot of controversy in this move as well because many believe that the only reason for that move was to help the Grays win a championship. You see, the Grays had just sent another big-name player, Ty Cobb, up to the Tigers and needed a replacement for him to satisfy the very frustrated fans. Here, Ruth continued to improve his pitching more and more, supposedly winning four games in just eight days. He would go on to have a 23-8 record and would later be called up to his first Major League Spring training in 1915. After making the team, Ruth had a decent season on the mound, going 18-8 as a pitcher with a 2.44 ERA. But Ruth's hitting prowess really started to shine that season. In 92 at-bats, Ruth would hit 315, knocking in 20 RBIs, as well as hitting four home runs, a spectacle for fans all over the league, since at that time, home runs were very much a rarity. One of these four home runs, in fact, was hit so far with so much power that it ended up leaving the baseball field and going through a window of a Chevrolet dealership across the street. <laughs> 1916 was no different other than Babe Ruth improving even more. He had earned himself a starting position in the rotation for the Red Sox, an honor that would take him to a 23-12 record, recording a 175 ERA, which would become his career best. His hitting stayed consistent as well as he hit 272 with another three home runs and three triples over the course of his 37 hits during the season. In 1917, Ruth finished with a 24-13 record and a 2.01 ERA, along with six shutouts that were scattered along that season. Ruth had participated in a combined no-hitter during that season as well, in maybe one of the funniest ways possible. You see, Ruth had thrown four straight balls to the first hitter of the game. He was absolutely furious, and he went up and punched the home plate umpire straight in the face for which he was suspended for 10 games and fined about $100. The next pitcher, Ernie Shore, would come in and record 26 straight outs after getting that runner that was on first out during a steal attempt. The record books would later show the two pitchers getting a combined no-hitter for their, well, for Ernie's efforts. By 1918, the Red Sox, led by Ruth, would win three pennants in four years and would play against, well, you guessed it, the Chicago Cubs. Before allowing the Cubs to score in Game 4 of that World Series, Ruth had pitched 29 in two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings, a record that would stand for 40 years until Whitey Ford broke it in 1961. In 1919, Ruth decided to focus more on his hitting 
as his pitching statistics started to have a bit of a decline. And it would be the start of his hitting breakout. Ruth had 103 runs, 113 RBIs, and the league-leading 29 home runs with 101 walks and a 322 batting average. He would lead the league in on-base percentage, OPS and OPS+, which basically add the on-base percentage and the player's slugging percentage. And then with OPS+, adjusted for the ballparks that they played in and various other things as well. Not only that, but Ruth would float around the field trying all kinds of different defensive positions that would work best for him, including the outfield and a few infield positions as well. But now we get to the curse. The Red Sox owner at the time, Harry Fraze, was a theater producer that managed to create winning teams off of, well, rather risky trades and risky contracts. At the end of 1919, Fraze was in need of cash for either his upcoming play or other personal reasons. It's still kind of a mystery to this day. But Babe Ruth, and in turn his teammates, started to ask for bigger contracts, due to their 1919 season, obviously. But Fraze couldn't come up with the money to pay them. He ended up meeting with the New York Yankees owner, Cap Houston, and ended up selling Ruth's contract for about $100,000, which was the largest sum ever paid for a baseball player. Although there were mixed reactions from the Red Sox fans, some being so sad that Babe Ruth was leaving, some, you know, all right with him leaving, the obvious was destined to happen regardless. Babe Ruth was now set to play at the Polo Grounds. Now, if you've never seen pictures of the Polo Grounds, the dimensions are a bit, well, favorable to hitters that can pull the ball or push the ball one way or another, but also not favorable to hitters that usually hit it right down the middle. You see, it was only 279 feet to left field and 258 feet to right, which is just a bit under 100 feet less than most like high school and college fields that we see today. But the Polo Grounds was a bit of a rectangle, so it was about 455 feet to left center, 449 feet to right center, and 483 feet <laughs> to dead center. Now, for some background on that, the longest home run ever hit was 582 feet, which is just under 100 feet more than what it would take to get a ball out to center field. But, if you could pull the ball at all, however, it was probably gone. And that's exactly what Babe did. With his time at the Polo Grounds, Ruth hit 85 home runs, just a tiny chunk of the eventual 659 that he would hit for the New York Yankees. But, going back to the curse, the transaction seemed to put the Red Sox on a World Series drought that would last 85 years, and this would be known as the Curse of the Bambino. You see, with Ruth, the Red Sox won 5 of the first 16 World Series to ever be played. But they wouldn't win another until 2004, after the trade had happened. The Yankees, on the other hand, would win 7 AL pennants and 4 World Series in the 15 seasons that he played with them. That sounds like quite a curse to me. Ruth's stats with the Yankees are absolutely incredible. 
and really the main reason why he is so widely regarded as the best baseball player of all time. In 15 seasons, Ruth would rack up 2,518 hits, 1,959 runs, 1,978 RBIs, 659 home runs, 1,852 walks, and a 349 batting average. I mean, that is without a doubt video game numbers, like something that you would do in MLB The Show, not in real life. In 1923, Ruth won the MLB MVP award after a 41 home run season with a 545 on base percentage, and the famous point to the outfield that he would eventually hit a home run after in the 1932 World Series, of course. But regardless, I strongly urge you to look up Babe Ruth on Baseball Reference or anything like that to see his full list of offensive stats because no matter where you look, it's incredible. I mean, these are numbers that you don't just get every blue moon, but maybe once every millennium. I mean, as of right now, Babe Ruth still holds the record for highest slugging percentage, highest OPS and OPS+, plus, as well as wins above replacement at a whopping 182.5. The next closest, for reference, is Walter Johnson at 164.5. Babe finished his career with 2,873 hits, 714 home runs, 2,214 RBIs, and a 342 batting average at the plate, while also recording a 94 and 46 record with a 228 ERA on the mound. Now, it's really hard to put into words all of the great things that Babe Ruth not only did for baseball, but for fans all around the United States. I mean, he helped to spark an excitement in the game of baseball that no one was able to really do before. He drew fans to the ballparks as well as inspired other players on how to improve and change their game into what is now a very highly competitive game that we see today. Some argue that the way that he was able to interest people in baseball really helped save the sport from unpopularity and even possible extinction, especially after the war had diverted the United States' view away from the sport and really just sports in general. I mean, there are just so many great Babe Ruth stories and moments that it'd be impossible to jam it all into one podcast. And I really hope that this podcast inspires you to go out and see what else the Babe did for the game of baseball. And I definitely recommend starting with Babe Ruth's famous called shot in that 1932 World Series because, oh my goodness, that is the coolest thing you will ever see. <laughs> so in next week's episode, we're going to be talking about the crazy, and I mean absolutely crazy ride of the 2005 Chicago White Sox. Thank you for listening.